0: Hello and welcome to a special presentation of Harper Audio Presents, recorded at the American Booksellers Association's Winter Institute in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Winter Institute is a gathering of independent booksellers, publishers, and authors. I'm Anna Maria Alessi, and joining me today is
1: so my name is Lauren Grodstein. My new novel is called Our Shore History. Uh, It will be published by Algonquin Books, and it goes on sale March 21st, 2017.
0: Lauren Grodstein is the author of four novels, including the New York Times bestseller, A Friend of the Family, and the Washington Post Book of the Year, The Explanation for Everything. Her latest novel, Our Short History, will be published by Algonquin Books of Chapel Hill in
1: March 2017. It's the story of a woman, she's a single mom, a political consultant, um, and the novel starts off in Mercer Island, which is an island just um, east of Seattle, where our narrator Karen is preparing to send her son um, after her death because she has ovarian cancer. Her son is six, she is in her early 40s, and she knows she will not be around to watch his growing up. And in the beginning of the novel, her son, Jake, turns to her and says, I want to meet him. And she says, you want to meet him? And, she says, and he says, yeah, you said, ask me in a month. And it's been a month. And she realizes that exactly a month ago to the day, he said, I want to meet my dad. Can you find my dad? Jake's dad was someone who broke up with Karen soon after she found out she was pregnant. He never wanted kids. He said he didn't want kids. Well, what can she do? She knows how to find him. She finds him. And much to her shock and dismay, suddenly the father who's now married to someone else and they can't have kids of their own, loves Jake, her son, and Jake loves him. So what do you do, right? This man who broke your heart suddenly wants to swoop in when you're at your most vulnerable and take your kid. And how do you reconcile that with the thing we all want for our kids, which is to make them happy? So that sounds somber, but actually Karen is hilarious. She's she really, is. really funny. And because she's so funny, and she's bitter, and she's angry, and she's sarcastic, and she's someone that if if she... like. If I bumped into her party, I'd want to keep talking to her. So she makes the novel, I think, a funny look at the totality of life, not just the end of life. Um, but it also talks about how much we love our kids. And that, that is the subject that I wrestle with in everything that I write.
0: But why, so it had to have been excruciating as a, as a mother to so precisely contemplate an early death, where did the idea come from? Why did? How did you? Why did you want to explore this theme in particular?
1: So I, I I've, I know two women in particular, who are young in their late thirties when they died, and they had uh-huh. of cancer and they had young children. I know another woman who's older; her daughter was in her twenties, um, who died of ovarian cancer. So that's part of it. So I think you know, and and when you have a child, you just sort of think about mortality, when I had my son, I thought about mortality all the time in ways that surprised me. I mean, I was healthy before I had him. I was healthy, thank God I'm still healthy, but I, I just couldn't help but think how fragile life is and how easy it seemed to me to be to take it away. If you do all this hard work, you get the baby here, you take care of the baby, don't let the baby fall, and you diaper the baby, and you teach the baby to like use a spoon, and, and then one stupid thing, and there's no more baby. But I couldn't write a book about there not being... Uh, no, you know, about no more babies. So I think my, it forced my imagination to think about, well, what happens the other way?
0: And you, you think about love and obviously forgiveness, forgiveness, ever so reluctant, but forgiveness, yeah. you know, and what it, how love and forgiveness are obviously two sides of that coin. Right. Right. And that balancing act that she goes through.
1: Yeah, forgiveness love can be easy. Forgiveness is really hard. So much harder, right? It's so hard. And but in the end, love is also more powerful than forgiveness. So she loves her son so much that in the end what, what there's nothing you won't do. I mean, and I think that it takes a long time for her to realize that that, that this isn't about winning and it's not about losing and it's not about anger. It, it's about a son and his father. And that I, someone who's going through a divorce told me that their lawyer said to them, in a divorce, you can either hate your ex or love your kids. You can't do both. And I think that, I heard that after I wrote the book, but I think that that's probably true.
0: Yeah, that's definitely yeah. true. Yeah. So you're up to publication. It's is publishing soon. How has writing and now publishing the book, how has it changed you
1: as a writer? So this is the first novel I've written. So this is my uh, fourth novel. It's the first novel that I've written from the point of view of a woman. Mm-hmm. It's the first novel oh, I've written. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah, it's the first novel I've written from the point of view of a, a mother. And I, I strayed from that. I started writing when I was pretty young, and I felt very conscious of being like a young woman. yeah. I don't know why. But you that, didn't want to be pigeonholed probably, right? right. Yeah. and I was anyway. But, you know, and living in Brooklyn, writing about young women, like, ugh, who needs more of that? Um, and then the next two books, I just, the the, the narrator who spoke to me, you know, who I sort of conceived of happened to be a, a, a man. This novel is the, you know, I am not Karen. My son is not Jake, her son. But it certainly is the novel that I that's drawn the most from my own life experiences. And the thing that's animated it is just how much, how helplessly I love my own son. So I think it's changed me in a way, not in any really profound way, except that now I know when I get on an airplane and I'm far away from him, if God forbid something happened to me, one day he would have this document, which is Karen's document for Jake, but of course I wrote it. Yeah, And it is about how profoundly a mother loves her son. And so maybe he would get it one day. Oh my gosh. Because you can't I, – I couldn't have – someone else might have been able to. I don't think I could have written this book without – I wrote other books about parenthood before I was a mother. But I couldn't have written this book before I was a mother. So what do you hope the reception will be? So I keep coming back to the fact that it's funny. I yeah, think Yeah, so, and I, I, the,
0: lots of reviews have said that.
1: Yeah. I, so my fear, I guess, I'm, I'm very like touchy about people like, oh, that's so sad, or oh, a cancer book, blah. What I'm really hoping is that people – see Karen, you know, there are lots of people with cancer who, in our lives, right, who we... And, you know, we know these smart, fierce, funny women right. and
0: that's who she is. Right. It's, you know, yes, she's sick but you don't suddenly become saccharine and right. idiotic just because right.
1: you got sick. Right. She really rebels against the sort of pinkification of cancer, of, of you know, breast cancer, but there's sort of an equivalent in gynecological cancers. It's There's nothing cute about this. This is... Not And, um, you know, and she's still vain about how she looks and she's, you know, but also just like, forget it. And she she's still working. So she works yeah. with this, um, her last candidate, she's a political, um, she's a campaign consultant. Her last candidate is this like Clinton-esque kind of philanderer. And she's just trying desperately to keep him on the straight and narrow and he refuses to stay on it. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a lot about work as as therapy right? right. and and just
0: being on the top of your game. right? And so leaving that as well, you know, she's very, she's very accomplished and she's very satisfied. It it, it brings her a a great deal of delight to be such a
1: badass. right? And she has to give that up too. Yeah. And that, that in many ways is the most painful thing. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. So I hope that people look at this book as that, as you know, as it is what I think it is, which is a story of a, a, a three-dimensional woman, not just a woman with exactly. cancer. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I'm going to ask you some general questions, sure. sort of about your work um, as a writer. What natural gift would you most like to possess as a writer? Oh, as a writer, I
1: thought you were just like period. No, you can do both if you want. You uh, want to be able to fly
0: and no, uh, come I wish up with I one? had
1: <laughs> the most. I wish I had a an incredible singing voice. I wish that I could sing really, Someone really else. well. Said so that? Oh, Anne Patchett said. Oh.
0: Uh, I think it was Play the Piano, but it was the same thing. She was like, oh, I don't want to answer the writing thing. I want to just say what I yeah. want. And she was like, I yeah. want to be a better yeah. musician. Yeah.
1: I wish I could. So I can sing fine. I have an, I have a, <laughs> you know how like, if I was a terrible singer, I wouldn't even worry about it, but I'm a fine singer. I'm like a very okay singer. So that is frustrating because I want to be like a really you great singer. Like- so, like, I want to just like kill it at karaoke, which will never happen. Um, I mean, no one will ever like leave the room screaming, but okay. as far as being a writer, you know, I think the only thing that I wish is, and this isn't a superpower or anything. I wish that I had more time. Yeah, I wish I had more time. I wish that I—I've sort of. There are things that I can do and things I can't do. I direct an MFA program. I'm like you know the family sherpa, and I keep my household running and all everything from bill paying to vacation planning. I do that and Hebrew School carpooling, and then I write novels. So, and I love doing all those things, and it takes a lot of organization to do those things. I'm also the chief dog walker and right. But I don't really write essays the way I wish I did. I don't submit short stories to places because something has to give, and that's what gives. And I wish that I had more time. So when do you squeeze it in? Are you the morning person? Morning, yeah. yeah. By the end of the day, I like the, I, by 9 p.m., I have abdicated everything. And if my son's not in bed at that point, he can just be up till the morning. I don't, like, I'm done. Yeah,
0: It's so funny because I was I was talking to an author earlier, and she said, oh, I'm so tired. And I said, I think the problem is this whole hotel is full of people who traditionally go to bed at 9.30. Uh-huh. And we're staying up. We're doing like dinners and receptions. I'm supposed to eat dinner at 7.30. Like, what? How am I going to watch HTV, HTV? <laughs> Every single one of us is like gritting our teeth. Yeah. And it's not even that we're staying up past 11, but it, just to get to 11 uh-huh. is like
1: pushing us all. I, also, everyone here is like an introvert, right? Like all these exactly. people being forced to socialize, like, oh, hi. That
0: is exactly it. Yeah. We, I've had so many conversations about I, where I admit I love, you know, being a homebody and staying right. home. Right. And then the person next to me is like, well, damn straight. That's what right. I like to, you know, it's it's really true. It's hilarious yeah. that, that, that we're... We're taking over the, the hotel. Um, so when and where are
1: you happiest as a writer? As a writer. So I have an attic that we refurbished. I live in a very old house. Um, old for the United States. Almost 200 years old. And it has an attic. And when we bought the house, it was unfinished. And we slowly finished It, it still doesn't have heat or AC. So in the depths of winter or summer, it's kind of unusable. But it's high up and I can see and for some reason we're on a we're, and I have a, a very old deliberately ancient computer and it's ancient because it's just too rickety to get internet up there it can but it comes and goes I mean the computer like should be in the Smithsonian it's really old and that's what I write on and I love being up there when the weather is good and we're on my, our house is um, on the migration path of lots of birds of prey oh. so I can see often Cooper's hawks or red-tailed hawks swooping around outside or perched on my neighbor's roof looking for little critters below. And I find that incredibly inspiring hawks. and wonderful. Can I tell you something? Yeah. We
0: got here around two on Friday and the first thing that I did was I walked across Loring Park to go over to the walker. To have yeah, to I love the
1: walker. The walker's the walker amazing, yeah. We saw a bald eagle.
0: Right. A bald eagle picked up a squirrel and went right over our heads right. and then sat in a tree and just <gasps> chomped and a- just like sucked
1: back. So grizzly and disgusting and amazing, right? It's amazing. But I don't,
0: you know, I've seen a bald eagle a couple summers ago up in, in Northampton, but I haven't seen a bald eagle in a really long time. And that was really exciting to me. I feel the same way. I love hawks. Yeah. I think they're so, cool. yeah, they're so cool.
1: They're so cool. They're so powerful. They're so cool. And you look at them, yeah, from your spot. Yeah.
0: That's really good. Yeah. What um what faults do you think that you most indulge in as a writer? Internet. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't give um, it up there, so you right. know. But
1: I then I don't I mean, <laughs> I've had to really booby trap myself because I'm just I'm just you know, I read recently an article, I think it was in the Times that I'm Gen X, that Gen X people are worse in terms of addiction, phone addiction and everything, than even millennials that were just terrible at it because it's still sort of new and cool for us. Um, It's hard for me to avoid. Um, And it's also hard. And then the, the bigger thing, so that's one, so the internet, but that's pretty standard, I think, for a lot of people. I worry a lot about re- relevance, especially now, you know, like what, what does fiction have to say to this moment? And I always, I've worried about that before because that none of yeah, us have huh? ever lived in a very, we think we, we fooled ourselves into thinking that we live in peaceful times, but you know, what does this, in grad school, someone said to me once like, oh, your work is just so bourgeois, which is a very grad awesome. school, yeah, right? It's, it's a very awesome. grad school accusation, but it is true that I have tended to write about sort of, you know, middle or upper middle class white people. So like what, what, who are comfortable in lots of ways, but of course are uncomfortable in other ways. So like what do what do my stories, what does my imagination have to say to this moment? I can't tell you, I don't know. I think readers might be able to tell you, but I worry about that. Like, is, is this the best thing I can do with my blessings and my time is to make stuff up?
0: So as the director of an MFA program, are you having that conversation with your students and what are what are they saying?
1: So I we talk, of course, a lot. I mean, my students are politically engaged and active and and they have yet to develop a body of work. And so yeah. for them, in a way, there's more, um, not opportunity, we all have the same opportunity, but they, they sort of are more flexible about what they're writing. They're still trying to figure it out. And for those of them, and I don't think you have to write about politics to be... Yeah, exactly. But they can choose to be active in ways that, again, aren't foreclosed to me, but they're just not what I've done. And even this book, which I wrote, set in 2013, I started writing it in like 2011 maybe, 2012, and wrote it sort of knowing I you know, started writing towards 2013 and then wrote it, finished it in 2014. That was a different time. It does feel oh, that way. Two weeks ago was a different it, time. It's really true, yeah. And so am I writing about things that still matter? I hope so. So are you working on something now? No, I'm not. For the first time, I'm thinking about essays a lot more. I'm writing about um, adoption. We're in the process of adopting. Um, I'm writing about um, family still, but in, but nonfiction. And I don't, and I'm thinking really hard about what my next book will be, but I just don't know yet. Yeah, I, 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 over
0: the course of the, the couple of days, I've heard a lot about people who were working on something prior to the election, have had a lot of trouble going back to it, yeah. or weren't didn't have an identified project and having are having a quite a lot of trouble identifying that next right. project. I think it's a very it's a common it's a common concern, it's a common sense of restlessness and uncertainty and challenge. I, I think we're they take I appreciate that you all take you know, your role seriously and you're thinking now, okay, if I'm going to do this work, I really want to make it as meaningful as possible. So what does that mean? Right. What do I have to contribute?
1: And it's unclear.
0: It is unclear. I think it's unclear for all of us. And for some reason you guys think because you always think That way, you think I, this should be clear to me like I should
1: because you guys are always like, I should be doing better. I should, I should be doing, it. Yeah. So. there's always I should be doing better, right?
0: So, you, you've taken that on in a yeah. way, it's really very. My I mean,
1: like, who's an, a sports fan, which is adorable. Um, he's a he says, sports fan, don't say anything are you no? I so I'm a Mets fan, it. so I grew up a Mets fan. He's an Eagles, a Philadelphia Eagles fan, which is Ugh. just it's a tragic it's thing, anyway. Yeah, horrible. And so, he's like, he always says, You are, um, you made it to the NFL, right? So, like. I don't know if you're gonna be Tom Brady or if you're gonna be some guy who, like, you know, like, has a hernia and like leaves after a season. It doesn't, who, but like, you made it to the NFL because you get to do this. And I was like, I don't love that metaphor. Nothing's gonna happen. How about baseball? Me, but, How about you made it to the you MLB? To the, you made it to the majors because that's a longer huge, season, right, also. Right, huge minor leagues and most players never, even the really good ones don't get out of the minors. So, manage major the majors. Maybe you'll hit yeah, 220 maybe for yeah. a season and then you'll, like, right. Maybe right. Maybe there's
0: one all-star game. Maybe there's right. more. Maybe you're maybe in the Hall of Fame. Right.
1: Yeah. Right. So, just be happy you managed the majors. Which is, you know, sure. Let me tell you, <laughs> you, you that's never going to happen. I know. I
0: know. You're never going to be I happy know. for that. I know. I know. Because <laughs> you've, you've accomplished something that's so hard and and you just, you want it again and again and for the right reasons, not for the wrong reasons, you know, because if you could have done anything, I mean, I'm putting words in your mouth, but I'm assuming that if you could have done anything else in your dang life, you would have done it. Yeah. But this is like, this is all you can do is yeah. you sit there and write those words every day up in the yeah. attic. Yeah. All right. That's getting a little <laughs> ranty. Um, oh, I have a question. This again it's been very interesting because I I have this conversation I once a week I read a book and I talk to a, an author but I've had them once a week in right. the last 24 hours 36 hours I've had one after the other after yeah. so themes are coming up Yeah and one of which is names I'm now asking so how do you uh, select your names and 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 what is what's the backstory but, behind all of your character
1: names. So that which is a great question. So I really have a theory of names and I'm I'm, I'm I talk about names I'm with my students I'm very Oh really? Serious, okay, good. Yeah, be, well because a lot of my students especially when I teach undergrads, graduate students don't do this as much but like they'll name a cool character born in like the late 60s like Madison St. Clair, and then I point out I always talk about Splash the movie or like Tom Hanks screams at the mermaid like Madison isn't a name because nobody named their kids Madison in the late, right? So first of all, I like names that are period specific and relevant. I also like names that real people are named, generally speaking, and that are spelled the way that real people would spell their names. Um, for last names, a lot of my I'm Jewish. A lot of my characters are Jewish. I try to find names uh, that are a little bit, you know, offbeat. I, identifiably Jewish. Karen's last name is Newlander. Newlander is Newland. Um, it's she's Czech and I, I look it up and and her her, her family history was Czech. There are many Jews have German names even when they weren't in Germany, right? So her and, many, and there were some Czech Jews named Newlander. But as a woman who's dying, I found that Newlander, like, you know, moving to a new land yeah, yeah. felt right to me. It also is just sort of a euphonious name, Karen Newlander. Right. Um, and then Karen is just a woman born in the early 70s. There's a good chance she'd be named Karen. Her sister's name is Allison. Those were yep. some good 70s kind of straight names. Straight ahead.
0: Do you keep a... A running list of names? No, no it's but all dependent
1: on character. It's dependent on character and who that character is. And the character comes to me before the name. And then like what were, if Jake was born in tw- 2007, like that Jake, there are a lot of Jakes who are eight and nine right now.
0: So do you often have to change, like do you start a draft with one sort of placeholder name and sometimes, then you have to swap it out?
1: Sometimes. Often I go to the name Ruth. I don't know why. Is that right? Just that's <laughs> your like... You know, X name. I've never actually kept anyone named Ruth, but Ruth. Yeah, there are a he's lot of just Ruth's. as a placeholder. Yeah, and then Al- so Karen has a sister named Allison, who's sort of wealthy and lives on the West Coast, and her children's names are Ross, Camilla, and Dustin. Yeah, which and that felt, does sound <laughs> right, like sort of like like wealthy West Coast kids named Ross, Camilla, and Dustin. That's that does sound appropriate. Yeah.
0: So, what's your motto as a writer?
1: Oh, get up early. Just get up early. Get up early. I tell this to my students. They all just like want to barf, but get up early because the day is going to take over your day really soon, and you're going to get emails, and your kids going to barf at school, and the whatever, and the dog has to go, like all that stuff. So even if it's terrible, I work from five a.m. to seven a.m. Basically, when I'm right in the middle of a novel, I work after that too, if I can. But it's not always a given that I can. Nobody wants to talk to me at five a.m. Right. So just get out of bed and just get up early. Yep. It's not that great a motto, but that's my motto. No,
0: I, I think it's very, a very succinct, good motto. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so do you have um, an anecdote or anything to say about
1: your experience with independent booksellers and independent bookstores? So when I was a kid, the place that, like, if you won a school prize or you had to get a birthday present, like, there was a store called Omnibooks in downtown Closter, New Jersey, which is a very small town about eight miles north of New York City. And Omnibooks had a little sticker and a bookmark. And he just knew the Omnibook sticker and bookmark. Whenever you got presents, there was the sticker and the bookmark in it. And I thought Omnibooks was just the best book in the world. It's where I got everything from like, you know, the House of the Clock and its Walls to all the Sweet Valley High books, like all those books. I got them. I love them. And then it went out of business and I couldn't believe it. I couldn't, how could a bookstore go was out of business? so awesome. Yeah. That everybody loved. How, like it, I I just wandered around. It was like I was twelve or something. I was like, but I, you know, I was replaced with like a deli or I don't know. And I still feel that way. Like how, the most perplexing thing of all, how is a bookstore not the most popular place in, yeah. in town? And um, I, you know, whenever I go to, whenever I'm on a book tour, or I, or my son wants a book. He's not allowed to have everything he wants, but he's usually allowed to have any book he wants because I don't want any more omnibooks to go out of business. I love, and frankly, I feel this way about Barnes & Noble too. I, I just love being in bookstores. I love it. I love it. So I guess my, my biggest memory is of a bookstore is the perplexity that not everyone felt about them the way that I Yeah, I that did.
0: realization.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that ne- not <laughs> everybody <laughs> shared is. your
0: exact passion. Yeah. 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 Well, we love your books in the bookstore. And we thank you. I thank you very much for writing oh, them and for just sitting down with me. That was really fun. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's really fun for me, too. Thanks for listening. All of the books you've heard mentioned here are available at your independent bookstore. And if you like what you've heard, please be sure to subscribe to Harper Audio Presents.